Stand at Ease, episode 13, Saturday, March 5th, 2011. I actually wanted to go infantry, but I'm colorblind. Other than what I would see on a helmet or a back of a flak jacket or tattoos, uh, that was basically the only graffiti I ever saw. You know, we got to support the troops. Well, what the hell does that mean? I think uh, I think I'm doing uh, doing my duty. Well, he definitely came back a changed person. What we've just been listening to for like the last five or six minutes or so, it really connects strongly with uh, two of the previous podcasts we've had. Welcome, welcome, welcome on a glorious Saturday morning for me here in Northern California. And we've got uh, kind of a whole host of guests here today, which is terribly exciting. But anyways, coming to us from Michigan, James L. Johnson Jr., welcome aboard, kind sir. Thank you. And then uh, from Grand Forks, Nowhere, Dakota, would be <laughs> my late arrival, D. Bjorn Christian David. Welcome, buddy. Good morning, everyone. Hey, guess what we're having soon? Tell Flood me. season! Well, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. You know, uh, you know. I think it's with all the snow you guys have had, and I'm sure that it must be God punishing you for something. I well, probably for not being Green Bay Packer fans. Yeah, well, that's we'll talk more about that as we get. <laughs> as I introduce Jason Parson, originally Clarksburg, West Virginia, or strike is in Clarksburg, West Virginia, hails originally from Chicago, Illinois. Welcome aboard, Jason. It's good to be here. Thank you for having us. And Travis Campbell, who's in Boston, Mass, is from Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome, Travis. Thank you. Great to be here. I'd like to welcome everybody. Anyways, um, David had, had gone well, out. Well, we, we don't want to forget uh, the creative design Yes, creative director. design person. Please introduce yourself. I didn't do the pre-note work on it because you were taking care of your young one, but do you mind introducing yourself for us? Sure, my name is Melissa Parsons. I'm Jason's wife, and I'm taking care of the creative end of the project. And she's also why Jason is from Chicago in Clarksburg, West Virginia. And <laughs> I tell you what, Jason, you're a good man to be there, sir. I've been dragged all over the world uh, for a woman, and it's it's a good cause. It's a good cause. <laughs> it is, and actually, I, I really like it here in uh, West Virginia. It's uh, I got tired of the city, the hustle and bustle, and then after the deployment, I kind of like the quiet. Well, I'll tell you, Chicago, you know, they got some issues there, mostly with their football team, but that's not, that's for a different, that's for, that's for a different conversation. Anyways, David, would you be so kind as to tell everybody how um, our lineup ended up today, which I'm really excited about? Well, a couple of weeks, or actually a couple of months ago, I was, I was flipping through Facebook one afternoon, and all of a sudden, uh, one of my friends had shared a post with me for a project called the Graffiti War Project. And since I'm a photographer, I, and I like seeing what's going on inside inside the Iraq and Afghanistan theaters, I thought, what the heck, we'll give it a little look and start going through it and seeing some really poignant phot- photography, um, everything from a cannon with a message on it that says, size does matter, and all kinds of people posing with it, to some interesting graffiti found in the lovely shitters that just must smell wonderful out there in Iraq in the <laughs> summer sun. And I started, I started looking for who to contact with the, with the group. And finally, just one day threw up a post on, on their Facebook page and said, Hey, how can I get in contact with you guys? And that's how doc and I started our discussion back and forth. It Excellent. was 
And you, I, you know, can, can I interject something here? Since we're going to call uh, Jason Doc from now on, because he was a uh, Army medic, makes it comfortable for everybody. All of our listeners know who Doc is. Jason, you yes, joined sir. the Army, and how did you end up into the uh, Medical Corps? Well, I joined the Army. I was uh, a uh, derivatives professional in the markets. Uh, I went and decided, after watching too many uh, young kids die on CNN, I figured it was time for me to, you know, carry on the family business, which <clears throat> everybody in my family on the male side has been in um, either the Marines or the Army. So I talked to the recruiter. I actually wanted to go infantry, but I'm colorblind. So uh, that kind of canceled that out. And I thought that to be a medic would probably be the best way for me to do what I feel I needed to do. Well, I got to tell you something in the Marine Corps, our corpsmen are extremely special people. Uh, believe me, I have a lot of admiration for anybody on it who actually gets out into the combat field and serves as a medic in the army or a corpsman in the Marine Corps. So we will refer to you as Doc moving forward, because I know that's what you sure. like as a nickname. Yes. Jason, my did uncle, you, my uncle Travis. was a uh, medic during uh, World War II. So, I mean, he he served uh, in a lot of campaigns there with it. Travis, were you in the military? Yes, yes, I was. I just recently uh, was honorably discharged uh, about two months ago. Wow. And what, and what, what did you do in the Army? Actually, uh, I, I served with Doc. I was a uh, combat engineer with the 54th Engineer Battalion. Got so it. We were the uh, we were the guys who got to drive around at incredibly low speeds and uh, look for the big boom booms on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they drive nuts. Yeah. Wow. So so you guys have so you you're just you're just two months fresh. Your hair hasn't even really grown back, has it? Um, it's, it's, it's getting in there slowly, uh, slowly, but surely. It's, oh, come uh, on, Garth. They were in the army. Oh yeah, that's true. They could wear parades <laughs> and stuff. They could put up in ponytails and stuff like that. Yeah. So hey, you're just. Air Force now. Yeah, that is true. That is, you guys are a little better than the Air Force. I suppose that's, you know, and of course, and the Air Force versus the Navy and we don't want to. You know, go, you know, we don't really need. I mean, that's like shooting ducks in a barrel. I mean, just we don't really want to go there. But so I, I'm just curious. Two months back, and you know, it's got to be just an amazing experience for you settling in East Coast and and still still kind of probably viewing yourself is still on active duty in many ways. Are, are you finding yourself just absolutely perplexed by some of the thought patterns of the civilians that are out and and, and around you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, I actually uh, feel like, in a great sense, that I that I still am active duty. Right. No, I uh, know that. That's that is a feeling that'll stick around for quite a long time. I mean, I don't remember when it was when I when I was able to make that that arc full time, but I know that I struggled with it. I know that I struggled with the return and and getting back in. And it's only been two months for you. What are you doing for work right now? Um, I'm actually, uh, currently, I'm a full-time student at the New England Institute of Art, wow. uh, pursuing a degree in advertising. So that's, uh, that, that's my main focus right now, and uh, I as well have a nine-month-old daughter mm -hmm. and a wife, so they uh, they keep me on my toes, too. There's uh, 20, 28 hours in my day. 
Now, were both of you married prior to the deployment? Um, yeah, I was. Yeah, and I think Travis, you were too, weren't you? Yeah, I got I got married uh, halfway through my deployment to uh, to Iraq in 08. Okay. Now, how long was your hitch in the army, Jason? It was four years. Four years, and Travis, your hitch was how long? I had uh, six year service. Okay. So it was Melissa, was she with you all four years, right, Doc? And then uh, Travis, your wife was with you for the last two? Um, yes, my wife's actually, she's a former veteran as well. That's, we actually met in uh, Germany before my deployment. Excellent, excellent. Now, Melissa, you've not been in the military, have you? Um, not unless you count being the spouse of a military member now. And we do. <laughs> and we do. We count it, my friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. I liked in the one one of the emails I got from uh, Doc was uh, he referred to Melissa as the first sergeant. Oh well, cripes, yeah. <laughs> My wife is a little general. General. <laughs> well, at least you got an officer for a wife. I yeah. got a, <laughs> <laughs> a non-com. That's worse. That's worse. That's right. Doc, how long have you been out now? Um, let's see. I got out in May 2009, so I'm going on almost two years. Okay. Um, the interesting story about my wife when we first met, I joined the Army in 2005, uh, and I was a medic, of course. I went to AIT in San Antonio, and uh, I had met this guy. We were kind of battle buddies because his last name was pretty close to my last name, and we were standing next to each other in formation. Well, his wife had um, decided to come out for our training just because we were in training for, what was it, like six months? And... Um, he had said that his wife was coming out and that uh, she's going to bring along her sister and that I'd probably get along with her real well. Well, I just recently got through a divorce and I wasn't in any mood to, you know, do anything but have a good time. But I figured, you know, new, uh, new fresh faces, why not? So uh, she came out there and I fell in love with her. I think maybe the first 30 minutes that I saw her, quite possibly sooner, um, I started asking her to marry me what was it, the first week? The second week. The second week. <laughs> and That's discipline, man. You held off, her. dude. You held off. <laughs> <laughs> I finally convinced her about uh, the third the third or fourth week, and then we got married in November, which was about 30 days after we met. And then uh, we fi- pretty much figured I was going to get deployed, so um, we decided that we wanted to have a baby together. I have two kids from a prior marriage, but Melissa didn't have any kids. So we tried for a baby, and we uh, we were successful. And then, sure enough, as soon as I got to Germany, got deployed. So it was almost like this whirlwind love story that really was kind of making me nervous while I was in Iraq. Because it, if it was a movie, you know, uh, it would have been a tragedy. I think at the end, just because it would have fit better. So I was always, you know, walking around Iraq thinking, please don't make this some kind of Hollywood tragedy. Well, it sounds it like out. it turns out to be an absolute epic love story then, right? Yes, absolutely. But I, I, go, I got a question for Melissa, though. How long before oh. you fell in love with him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think within the first two weeks, I, I was definitely in love with him. But it took a little convincing to you know, decide that I was – my whole life I'd always said I'd never be married. I'd never have kids. I liked you know, being single and being independent. But – he quickly changed that. I actually went down there. Um, I'm a tattoo artist as well, and I went down there to tattoo some of the soldiers. And after he and I met, we kind of cornered the market on yeah, the, on the uh, soldiers at AIT while we were down there. We continued that into Germany and then back here. So 
Um, I'd say it, it was kind of mutual. It, it went really quick, but it, it was definitely worth it. Yeah. But Melissa, did I understand you right that you're an epidermic uh, artist? Is that right? That's that's correct. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, she, she had does, quite a successful business. Here. Say say that again. I thought she she does great work too. I'm actually uh, I got a couple uh ink samples. We're not only friends, but I'm a client. I'm <laughs> well, is this one of the reasons why? Tell me, uh, tell me this, Doc. What prompted you to go into graffiti? Um, it was when we were uh, in Iraq. Um, you know, we had been there for a few months, or I had been there for a few months now, and uh, we were sitting in the back of the hooch in the smoke porch. We were all talking about the different things that we saw, you know, either in the latrines or you know inside the hooch and stuff, and we had just thought it was pretty funny that there was these, you know, masterpieces of Renaissance art in a latrine and that they must have been in there for four or five hours to create something like that. And we just started talking about, you know, we should really put this all together into a book. And, you know, like most things, we kind of forgot about it after we got back. And then uh, I picked it up uh, about a year after I got out. I'm really? glad you did. Now, you saw an awful lot of graffiti all through the cities and in various places? Yeah, quite a bit, um, especially when I noticed it right off when we had gotten to Kuwait. Um, they uh, have this almost like a flag line of jersey barriers that are all the different units that have been in and out of Kuwait. And right. then inside the latrines is where, you know, you, can, uh, you really get to see where the soldiers' heads are at a lot of times. just because, you know, they're there by themselves. They don't have to worry about sergeant major opening the door so um that is where i kind of noticed that wow you know there's there's some in, intense art out here and uh it's almost like a whole other culture and then once i got to iraq um it was everywhere it was you know in the hooches it was you know outside in the different you know um jersey barriers it was even when we were doing uh you know patrols inside the city and stuff it's everywhere you know, I find that interesting. Uh, you know, I served in Vietnam, and I, I served several tours there. And graffiti, other than what I would see on a helmet or a back of a flak jacket or tattoos, uh, that was basically the only graffiti I ever saw. But I've seen pictures where there is a great deal of graffiti on various walls and things. And I would think that the command wouldn't be too happy about that. But uh, I, I, I find it fascinating that people, maybe it's their frustration, maybe it's their pride, I don't know, but uh, they go through this graffiti. I know my uncle told me in World War II that there was an awful lot of uh, graffiti all through Europe. Like you say, different units that go through, Kilroy was, was here, places like that, you know. With World War II, I mean, everybody remembers Kilroy. And, yeah. And you know, that's, you know, we actually put that up a little bit on our website uh, when we first started, just as an example. You know, every generation has got their mark. They have, you know, placed, you know, where they've gone. And uh, I remember, you know, my grandfather telling me stories about that. Um, he was in uh, the 29th Infantry Division or 28th Infantry. Uh, it was the Bucket of Blood. I think that's the 28th. Uh -huh. And um, he was in the Battle of the Bulge. But anyway, that's, you know, Kilroy for World War II. And then with us, I think... Um, you know, we're used to it from writing on desk and everything when these guys were in high school. And I think this is just a, an outlet for them to, you know, to get out either the emotions of what just happened or what is about to happen. 
and uh, it's a it's a you know sort of release for them. Well, you know, I've been I do a lot of traveling, or I've done a lot of traveling over the years. I know that in uh, L.A., parts of New York, parts of Chicago, any major city, even in Detroit, up through the year, there's a tremendous amount of graffiti that you see in, in different locations as you go through a city. And what I found it to be was an uh, uh, expression of the time. A lot of it's frustration. A lot of it is uh, just a, a, a mental relief. I can understand the units because it's just it would be just like gangs that uh, mark their area. I can sure. understand yeah, the absolutely. units doing that. But, I, but what I would find even more interesting, particularly with uh, Melissa here, is most of the guys that I served with, they took out a lot of their graffiti, for lack of a better way of explaining it, in body art. Do you see a lot of that? I know I, I went up on your site there, and I saw the one with the uh, soldier with the helmet on holding the dog tags. I assume that that was done on his entire back. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Now, I've never I've never had any tattoos, but I have a lot of friends who do have them. And to set for that piece of art, that was quite a long time on it to get that project done. Right, Melissa? Uh, yes. And actually, one of the things we're thinking about doing after we finish the Graffiti of War um, project with the uh, photos from Iraq and Afghanistan is we're thinking about doing um, somewhat of a spinoff and um, using the Graffiti of War title, but having it um, the Tattoos of War. And, you know, throughout World War II, um, Really, tattooing has a huge um, base in military. You know, sailors coming into ports, that's a lot of how it started. And so we're thinking about putting together a book of the different wars and the different types of um, tattoos that you would see because it's another expression of what they're going through, their units, you know, what they've seen. And it's a huge part of the military culture now. So that's something that we're looking at doing in the future. Excellent. Oh, it, it is. It really yeah, is. And that would be something that would be quite a project. I know that uh, well, when I went in, Oceanside, you would go out to, and everybody would get drunk, you know, and, and they'd all want a bulldog, or they'd want something on their bodies. And whenever I went through boot camp, I was instructed, because I left boot camp with a top-secret security clearance with it, not to get any kind of tattoos or nothing else. So I, I never got any. But I've always had that little desire in the back of my head to do it. But uh, I, I never, never got any. But I sure have seen a lot of guys who have them. Well, that's actually one of uh, the things that we're going to be doing. I'm going out to Kuwait and Afghanistan and possibly, uh, or Kuwait and Iraq and possibly Afghanistan this summer. And while I'm out there, um, we're going to uh, take some pictures, take a lot of pictures of, of course, the art and everything else. Um, and to finish up the collection process of the book. But also, I'm going to be taking a lot of pictures of, um, the guys that I embed with their tattoos and every, anybody else that's willing to let me photograph their skin how, art. How did you make those arrangements? Did you went through the uh, State Department to do that? It's actually through USFI, United States. Um, I have to pull it up. It's uh, it's part of uh, DOD, and it's a lot easier than I had anticipated. Um, when we had come up with this new directive, which um, originally when we made this project, we were relying solely on uh, contributions from either soldiers that have already come back or mostly soldiers that are there, Marines that are there. And um, unfortunately, because it's difficult to get in touch with a lot of these guys and you know the, the wall between communication for a reason, um, we're running out of time in Iraq. Um, the, 
the pullout date is looming um, in 2012, and I don't want you know to lose this art, which we will lose it once we leave. So um, we decided in January that we're going to try to make a push to uh, get me out there. Now, originally, we thought that I was going to have to have some sort of sponsor, and that's actually not true. Um, we can act as our own sponsor since we do have a nonprofit and a LLC. Um, we can sponsor me as the journalist for the Graffiti of War Project or unconventional artists. And um, I talked with a few people that have already done in, uh, a few embeds. Um, one of them being, <clears throat> excuse me, one of them being, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Restrepo or not. Um, it's uh, It was nominated for an Academy Award um, just recently. And the photographer and cameraman and the writer, Sebastian Younger is the writer, and Tim Hetherington uh, was the filmmaker. I was uh, had the opportunity to speak with them about their embed process, and they personally told me that uh, there's really nothing to it. Tell me about the security side. Have you looked into that? I mean, what takes place from the security aspect? Because well, we don't want someone captured over there when I would think you would be a prime target. Sure. And... You know, that's a concern. However, when you get once you get embedded with the military, now you can go to Iraq by yourself as you know an independent journalist and not choose to embed with troops, and that's where you're gonna run the risk of getting captured because you know, you don't really have the credentials, you're gonna be there out there on the street, and you know, I, I don't speak Arabic or Farsi, so I'd probably get scooped. Now, because I'm being embedded, they I fly to Kuwait and then the military picks me up as one of theirs and then I go you know from unit to unit base to base in the military bubble that's fascinating and so, the so government has to okay that I'm sure right and they do that and they do that uh, much easier because you're former military is that it um you know that I asked that to uh, um, Sebastian Younger from Restrepo and he said I do think that you're gonna have a much easier time with it because you're a uh, former military. However, they had a, everybody that I've talked to, and I've talked to a, a few different groups of people that have done this, they've all told me that, and you know, Sebastian and Tim, they're not former military, and they all told me that it's a pretty easy process. It's about like filling out a credit application. That's how difficult. What about Afghanistan? Afghanistan is our wild card uh, for a couple different reasons. First, uh, it's not just the military, the U.S. military, it's a NATO um, operation, so there's a little bit more paperwork to go in, to be involved with it. And because Afghanistan, um, the different bases out there are very uh, sparse and the terrain is difficult to travel over, my time there, um, it would be difficult for me to get to um, as many bases as I'd like um, and to get out to the outposts and there might not even be all that much art out there and I might get stuck there for a week or two until, you know, they can get uh, a bird in there or something. So we're, we're still determining whether or not we want to try Afghanistan. Um, it's not really high on my list right now, not because I, I don't want to go there. I do. However, we're going to be in Afghanistan for a while. It's Iraq that we're losing in 2012. So if worse comes to worse, I don't make it to Afghanistan this year, and we do need, you know, we do end up not getting enough art from Afghanistan from the troops over there. Then we can always put a hold on the book until next year. I can go there. How are you? Have you have you found a publisher yet, or do you have a do you have a book agent, or what? what um, do you... 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and how are you publishing it? Um, we have been in talks with uh, a couple different publishers. Um, there's some interest out there. We're in the kind of the early stages of it. Uh, we're still in the collection process. Um, so we haven't um, really gone into uh, detail with them. Uh, they've expressed their interest to us and unofficially, of course. And um, we told them that, you know, we, we have interest with them as well. Um, but at the moment, we don't have an agent. And uh, I don't know if we can afford one. Um, we're doing this basically out of our own pockets and um, whatever donations that people offer us as far as getting us over to Iraq and um, and that nature. So right now, yes, we are talking to publishers and uh, we're reviewing our options, but nothing's set in stone yet. And when you talk about looking for for uh, donations and things like that, obviously there's a place that's out there. So j- just throwing it out here, any of you that are listening to this this rebroadcast of this thing, this is a good project, man. I'm sure 25 bucks to get these guys some some lunch for a day. So just just chew on that. Yeah, well, there, there's one other thing that might help you also, Doc. I don't know if you know this or not, but Garland has written books. Yes. So he's he's familiar with the process, and he's familiar with uh, a lot of it that could help you out. So yeah, put that I, put I that can, in the back of your head. Yeah, and I'll burn you the name of my, my agent as well offline here. So something That'd to think fantastic. about. Yeah, something to think about. And, of course, just as a side note, you know, if no agent picks you up does not mean that you're not – can't get your book done. I mean, you've got – You've got Lulu.com uh, if you want to do a you know press like that, and they've got a big distribution as well. I don't know. Are you familiar with Lulu at all? I am, actually. Yeah, um, yeah I, I've looked into that. We're, we're really hoping to get a, a relatively large publisher because of the fact that we're trying. I don't know if, uh, if your listeners are aware, but we are donating a large portion of the proceeds from this book, not just our own foundation, but to a, you know, a few different um, foundations and, and charities that we think that are truly supporting Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. The reason that we're uh, pretty specific is because of the fact that this art and it, it, it's really credited towards um, veterans that have served either in Iraq or in Afghanistan and uh, current soldiers, active duty members right now. Um, so we're trying to, you know, reward, find a way to um, credit and reward the people that really put this book together for us, which is you know, the American warfighter. And the only way we really think we can do that effectively is by donating to certain causes that we feel, you know, um, truly send that money to where it belongs, which is in the soldiers and the Marines and the airmen and, you know, the seamen's pocket. And we also created our own foundation that we're working um, with a few different organizations trying to uh, develop new ways to treat PTSD. Both hey, Travis, Travis, and I mean, all, yes. of, all of you guys as well. Do you ever get the feeling that you're doing God's work with air quotes in the word God's work? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You maybe. See? Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think I'm doing uh, doing my duty and helping those guys that are, you know, that are still over there, that are that have been there since the uh, the beginning of the the war kicking off. So yeah, I guess I guess in a way you could say. You say that. You say that I do. You know, it, 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 we've talked a lot about this, and well, in, in fact, and I don't know how many of our shows you've had an opportunity to listen to because it is absolute pure brilliance. But with that being said, <laughs> there's a thread yeah, that, that well, modesty. I mean, I'm working on it. I'm breaking out of my shell. <laughs> but there is a thread here that runs through all of the work, and it's, it's certainly about being a veteran. Is you you feel this need to 
think about the people that are doing it now and the people who have sacrificed and you know selflessly given them the stuff and, and take care of the to the men and women that are that are currently doing it as well there is a there, there always is a certain responsibility and i'm and i'm happy to hear that that's what you're saying you know what i mean i feel like you're doing your duty i, I mean we've got you know 13 hours 14 hours of these conversations as well talking to, to brilliant people such as yourselves and it's because we have that same sense of responsibility as well of bringing out a different voice you know and to try to make it out there and what you're doing is is you're taking uh, at micro shots of time in people's lives. I mean, with a photograph of somebody that, that is graffiti that's never intended to be in the Louvre anywhere that will just go away uh, over time. And it's just just these brilliant micro seconds of, of the lives of the sailor, soldiers, airmen, Marines that are over there and and taking care of those guys. And, and so I applaud all of you guys. I really applaud this this effort. And, uh, but I'm just curious because I, I wonder if the difference is because doc, you've been out sooner and Travis hasn't been because I know that I feel like in a lot of ways of the work that we're doing right here is hopefully giving us a slight, you know, offering to somebody and an insight into the work and the thought patterns of veterans as they go to, in an attempt to try to understand this, because it, I, I feel sometimes that the work that we do is, is, veterans and the work that we do on active duty is somehow or another or at times co-opted for a political banner or statement you know we got to support the troops well, what the hell does that mean it, it doesn't right. you know it doesn't necessarily mean and i appreciate the yellow little sticker that's too big so you got to turn it sideways for your you know your <laughs> truck gate but i mean i appreciate that effort but there's more to supporting the troops i think um, not just when they're in or just saying that I'm not going to spit on them. You know right. what I mean? Like they did and what does that actually even mean? You know, I mean, when people buy these stickers, you know, okay, so you, you, you say you support the troops. Well, what are you doing for the troops? What are you doing for the veterans, you know, the homeless veterans? Or what are you doing for the, the veterans that are stricken with PTSD so bad they can't leave their homes? Right. You know, I mean, it's, and you're right, you know, with this political, you know, a lot of people take this as a, like a political statement. Well, I support the troops. Oh, well, so you support the war in Iraq. I did not support the war in Iraq. I didn't support the war before I joined. I didn't support the war while I joined. But I support the troops that don't have a choice whether or not they support the war. Right. Amen, brother. No, that's exactly the way that I feel as well. And I got into my dad and I got into some frustration. I'm not suggesting that that that's a bad thing. And, And I know Jim and I have kind of we've had I would say that we've had some creative tension over this very particular issue. I. I found that those stickers and I support the troops, that statement, um, to be a little trite personally. Mm-hmm. And Jim, and if I'm not, I'm going to speak for you. And then, of course, I want you to go and swear me away. You have a history of doing that. <laughs> but you're, 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 and Jim's, Jim's attitude has been coming from where he's been. At least they're welcoming. At least when I came home, I had to take my uniform off before I landed because I would be treated you know with hostile intentions and i'm and i and i can appreciate that as well but this issue of supporting the troops for me and doing something and reaching out takes on something more than a slogan and a faded yellow magnetic sticker that's turned to the side you know it it is to me and the efforts that you guys are doing is is part of a broader effort i think for for people such as ourselves that are trying to do it and of course the work that, that you guys are doing 
you know, I, I agree with you in a lot of that. The thing that you can never lose sight of is that once you've worn the uniform, you're always supportive. Once you've been married to someone who has worn the uniform, you're always supportive. Once you've had a child who has worn the uniform, you're always supportive. Now, support can be defined in various ways and in various degrees. But you can synthesize what a military man goes through. And when he returns, what he had to adjust to, it's not a seamless transition, particularly if you've served in combat. It's not a seamless transition. You know, I'll give you an example. I got an email in from a friend of mine. And he listed female Purple Heart recipients, which we've never talked about. We did a show once on a Purple Heart uh, but we never talked about females. You know, in World War II, there were 100 women who received a Purple Heart for wounded in action. Wow. There were three women in Korea. There were 16, I'm sorry, there were 10 in Vietnam. There were six in the Persian Gulf. Now, you ready for this? There were 741 in Iraq slash Afghanistan. Because women have taken a much more active role. And and these are things that people really don't, they don't know. They don't understand. They don't know what it's like on it to serve a tour in a combat situation, go through what it is that you go through, and then come back home, and you're expected to fit in seamlessly into society. It doesn't work that way. No, it sure doesn't. But there there sure is a number of women that can sit down there and tell you what it's like to have to sit there with that proud that p- proud veteran and pick their ass up and pack and pat him on the back and try to send him out into a world of which of course Travis is now starting to experience after being only out for 2 months and in understanding how to how to try to assimilate something that I can't look man I'm a veteran but I haven't been in a combat zone I can't tell you what that's like I suppose if I was a poet I could quote Shakespeare or something and tell you what I think it's like or listening to you guys and steal a couple of words but that's it's a it's a it's a very interesting time and a very interesting experience to to be in that situation. You've got somebody that's online right now that can tell us ab- about that. What was it like to to go ahead and have Doc come back after you married him? He went, he came back. What's that like? Well, he definitely came back a changed person. Um, the first year or so, it was extremely difficult. Lots of arguing, lots of frustration, and not knowing how to uh, handle the situation, the emotions. Um, and for him, you know, for myself, I want him to be able to express these emotions and, and feelings and thoughts and experiences with me. But at the same time, for him and for other veterans coming back, if you've never been there and never experienced it, it's almost impossible to to get someone else to understand it just through words. And so for us, a lot of that frustration that we were feeling is just because it was so hard to connect um, with each other as far as the experience that he had went through. And then as you had said about um, getting them prepared once they get out to try to go out into the world, that's when you really start to see as a spouse or a family member just how difficult it is for them to readjust. Because other than their fellow veterans, there's nobody out there that... um, that can say, hey, I, I understand where you're coming from. You know, I, I can imagine how hard it would be. They can say that, but, you know, really, it, it's not like actually experiencing it. And so no, that, that's so true, Melissa. That's so true. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think through this project, it's allowed me to um, get a better uh, a glimpse of how things work for him. And it's also opened my eyes to how difficult it is for them coming back. And that's one of my main goals is to help the spouses, the family members, and just the general civilian population to just, you know, these guys went over there and fought for your freedoms while you were sitting back and eating your cheeseburger and watching your TV. These guys are over there losing their buddies and, you know, getting grievous injuries and coming back, even if they didn't have the physical injuries, they had the mental injuries. Yeah. And so I hope that we can remind these people that you wouldn't be able to sit there and eat that cheeseburger and watch TV if these guys weren't making the sacrifice. And that's something that really needs to be appreciated and understood. And I think supporting, you know, the veterans coming back, it should be one of the key priorities because, you know, like with World War II and with Vietnam, there's always going to be a different um, when they come back, it's going to be different. When World War II, when they came back, they were accepted a little more than, say, Vietnam. And now I think with um, this war being so unpopular, the guys come back, it's a little similar to, you know, Vietnam, the way some people feel about it. And I just hope that we can change that way of thinking and just, you know, open up a, a path of dialogue between the civilians through this art, between the civilians and the veterans, just so that there's a better understanding. Hey, well, uh, uh, go ahead. I'd like, to, I'd like to interject something here. Um, okay, go ahead. The uh, what we've just been listening to for like the last five or six minutes or so, it really connects strongly with uh, two of the previous podcasts we've had, um, especially last week when we talked about the the fifty foot perimeter of who gets affected in in combat, and then what Melissa was saying. Boy, I'd like to connect you with one of our previous guests, who's the wife and mother of three people in combat right now and you know just she what you've just said is almost word for word what she was saying uh with us two weeks two three weeks ago so it's you know i think it's really interesting when i especially when i look at the uh, front page of the graffiti graffiti of war project where up in your in your banner line you have in war there are no wounded soldiers a quote by narkovsky yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. That quote. You know that that fits so so much into our that fifty foot perimeter idea that we talked about with Doctor Doxy last week is you know and then also knowing what your project is doing and what your goal is to help veterans who are coming back from these two theaters and helping them with the struggles of PTSD. Um, when we talked about that the other night on the phone, Doc, you were I could hear your passion just dripping through the phone. And I was wondering yeah. if we could talk a little bit about what where you want to go with that with yeah, that your foundation. Well, just to interject well, just to touch on what Melissa was saying a little bit, there's a quote on one of our uh that we picked up and uh, put it on some of our merchandise that uh we sell on our website to promote the project and uh it says people, it's by um, a guy, well, I think everybody knows him, uh, it's George Orwell, and it says people sleep peaceably in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. And that's true. I mean, you know, very true. I think that a lot of people get this, you know, oh, well, you know, they say they're fighting for our freedom, but, you know, Iraq never took away my freedom. Okay, <clears throat> and I understand and I agree with that. And it necessarily might not be fighting for our freedom, quote unquote. However, 
these men, these brave, incredible, unbelievably in, just dedicated men stand in the gap for us as civilians to keep us from having to be drafted or to keep the war from being on our doorstep. And they stand in the gap and they are ready to do violence, awful things that our country has asked them to do that, that a country should never have to ask their, their people to do. And they do it, you know, because of their love for one another and their love for what this country stands for. And because of that, we are able to sleep peaceably at night. We are able to buy SUVs and pay $4 a gallon for gas. You know, we are able to do amazing things with our children. And it's all because of the, the men that have, you know, like they say, all, you know, some gave all, but all gave some. You know, every one of us, you know, from the supply clerk on down to the sniper has given something of himself over there. And especially in this war, um, it's, it's different than, you know, like um, uh, Gar was saying about, you know, how there's so many more female uh, Purple Heart recipients. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the, you know, the combat arms, the line of combat arms has been, you know, kind of faded. And because everybody's kind of getting into this, hey, let's, you know, we got to push the State Department's foreign policy over there so everybody is, you know, kind of doing their thing within a, con you know, we're surrounded by the enemy being on, you know, in these outposts and you have supply clerks that are females there. You have medics that are females there. And, you know, we're in a, a, a war that has no front lines or is all one front line. And then what happens is, is you know, they mortar us or, or something bad happens and it ends up hurting people that, you know, might not necessarily 50 years ago been anywhere near a front line. So, what our men and women are doing over there, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is, you know, truly doing things that the government's asking them to do so we don't have to do it as a people. I have a question for, uh, for Travis. Yeah. You're, um, you're kind of knee-deep in all this. I mean, we're, we're talking about really you, and, you know, you're, you're fresh. I mean, I mean, you probably even still got some shit still packed from when you came back home. So I, I do actually, I do. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so I'm just curious. I'm just curious. What are you hearing when you hear this? Um, I, I agree with Jason. Be, being over there is, uh, it's, it's definitely life changing to say the least. Um, that's that's one of the uh, main reasons I'm I'm proud to be a part of the project because I think uh, I think it's. It's a big deal that we're ultimately trying to let these uh, these men and women in the military use their their artistic ability to uh, kind of uh, express themselves. You know, uh, sometimes the conventional therapy just isn't the uh, the, the best means of, of support. And you know, uh, the, this this artwork it's it's raw, it's uncut uncut emotion. It uh. It really it speaks astronomical volumes, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, like I said, I'm I'm very proud of of uh, of being here and uh, a part of the program. What about what about as as you guys work through this and you guys are getting there? Um, what role does alcohol play in your return? Oh, wow. Yeah, um, it's a huge role. I can tell you about that with 
Um, when Jason returned throughout that first year that we were struggling so much, much of the reason was because of the alcohol. And I blame that on the um, system, I'll say, not being able to, able to correctly treat these guys. And I think a lot of it's just they're overwhelmed. It's, um, it's something that, you know, this war is very different from Vietnam. Um, it's, you know, it's close quarters. It's urban. And I think when these guys come back, there's, they're using this to self-medicate, for one, because I think they um, are kind of waiting in line to be treated through the VA and through the military. And two, because a lot of them, you know, there's a stigma associated with getting treatment for mental illness. And um, so that stops a lot of them from, you know, seeking out help. And for a lot of them, too, you know, within their own peers, I think they fear that, oh, well, they're going to be labeled as that guy with the mental issues and so a lot of them self-medicate to push all the stuff down and then eventually it comes out and what we're hoping is that you know through this project um we're trying to set up the online therapy and we're hoping that for people for one that have like grievous injuries that it's hard for them to travel for people who are in isolated areas or for people who just haven't mustered up the courage to come out of the house and go on a regular basis to see a psychologist, that hopefully this will allow them the opportunity to start healing that it may be easier for someone else. We're hoping to pull those last little bits of people into this program through that and allow them a way to, to start healing. And, you know, hopefully through the, the online therapy, maybe they'll eventually get to the point to where they can come out and actually see someone. But this is definitely a huge first step that I think will pull in a large portion of people that are just saying, hey, I don't want to deal with it right now. And maybe because it's a little less formal, you're, you know, talking via online, hopefully it takes some of that stigma away to where they're like, you know, this isn't so bad. I can do this. Well, getting back to the alcohol, it, it was definitely everything to do with coming home. Like when we came back, we had to stay in Germany for a week um, to do reintegration. Well, my wife was still in West Virginia. She had the uh, Connor while I was deployed, our little boy. And um, so I was there all by myself. And it was as soon as we got off that bus, the first thing I did was, you know, get over to my house on um, my quarters on post change into my civilian clothes, meet up with my buddies and immediately start drinking. And I'm telling you from the day I stepped off that plane to the day I got on the plane to see Melissa, I was drunk the entire time. And it was a big joke. And I mean, you know, I was taking advantage of it. I thought it was funny, but you know, we're standing in formation. Everybody's drunk. The first sergeant's drunk. You know, we're all hung over from the night before and it's just part of the culture. It's, Hey, you know, you're back to my rack. Let's go get effed up. It is part. It is part of the culture, and I fully understand that. You know, I listen to Melissa here. And I'm listening to you. You know, I spent sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine in Vietnam, and I don't know what you know or what you don't know about me on it. But uh, I don't think you could have seen much more combat than what I saw, and I was eye to eye with a lot of people. I can't even tell you the people I've killed. Uh, that's how many that there have been. And you can smell something, you can see something, you can have that something just happen. And all of a sudden, you just flash back to where it was that you were at that point in time. I'm 63 years old. This is not something on it that uh, ever goes away. Right. It's great that you have found a way 
to help you out with some of this stuff. And it's great that you're going to help other kids with some of the things that they hold back. But you'll never, ever walk away from it completely unscraped. You'll just learn to make peace with it. That's the best you can hope for. The drinking side of it, yeah, that's part of the culture. That's the warrior's culture. That's part of it. Because you learn to live for that moment. And then once that moment is out of the way, you're going to party a little bit. And it'll continue on through. Everybody adjusts with things completely differently. Our last guest, he brought up the 50-foot perimeter. And that's so true, because I had never really put it in that perspective before. You know, I was aware that the actions that you're involved in are different. Everybody's everybody's experience is different in war. Everybody's experience is different in combat. You know, it's one thing to slice a man's throat or stick a bayonet in him or blow his head off or kill a 20, 30 people on it with an airstrike. It's another thing to go out there and patch them up. And then it's another thing to do all the administrative work and see all the wounded people coming and going. I mean, everybody has a different perspective of the conflict, no matter which one it is. Oh, yeah. And I so, think we, war will always be with us as long as there's more than one person around. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be some type of conflict. But now you guys are also working on setting up um, this three-year foundation, setting up this, this outreach to the young veterans. Um, one of the questions I have, do you have any, any psychologists or therapists or counselors who have also volunteered their time to help with that when you, when you get into it? The reason I'm asking is in the state of uh, New Jersey right now, they have a suicide hotline for the National Guardsmen that has actually just been contracted also by Fort Hood, where if you are a, uh, re just returning from overseas or even have been back for a while, if you start having the suicidal ideation, you can call this number, and the person you're talking to on the other end is a veteran. And oh, the, wow. veterans, the veterans have also been trained that if it gets to a point where you know, this is something that we need some immediate help with right away. They do what's called a warm pass off to a, a counselor who is trained in that type of therapy. And they can usually, they have a really high success rate. Um, suicides with veterans in New Jersey dropped so much that the, the command at Fort Hood took notice and they said, hey, will you help us? And... I, th I I heard this uh, about a week or week and a half ago on NPR, and I, I'm still trying to find the uh, the show so we can post it on our webpage. Was but that it, was the was that with the female, the head of of the Veterans Administration piece, or is that a different? I think that was a different one. Sorry, um, but the uh, the interesting thing was the veteran they picked was a Vietnam Vietnam era Marine veteran. And the description of him was he looks like a bear, but more of a teddy bear than anything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's that I was just wondering, do you guys, do you have, have you made well, any a, contacts? That's a good question. And yes, we are working um, right now to get um, the people that we need. I go to WVU, West Virginia University. Um, go Mountaineers, by the way. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um and we're actually speaking um, to WVU and doing a presentation for them on the 10th. Um, we're um, getting involved 
um, with some contacts from their psychology department. And we've also made um, some contacts with um, a psychologist um, that uh, does um, PTSD like that. That's his doctorate program. He's actually a professor. And he yeah, where is he located at? WVU. Okay. And um, so we're working on trying to get um, the psychologists under our belt because that is something that's very important. For one, we can't call it therapy, quote unquote, until we do get a, a mental health professional and a provider with us. Um, in the interim, until we do get that, which I'm, I feel pretty confident that we'll actually get this before we'll even get the website up and running. But if, in fact, we don't get a healthcare professional in the interim while we're waiting on um, getting that, uh, we're going to just do virtual support groups to where um, we'll have one dedicated just for veterans and one dedicated for active duty um, for OPSEC reasons. And uh, that way they can, you know, like say we set it up, okay, every Thursday at, you know, 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll do, you know, group one uh, for veterans and, and group one for active duty. And then, you know, they can sign on and then they can just talk amongst themselves, of, you know, through a video chat. Um, system and uh, they could talk about their, their struggles, they could talk with one another about how they get through it, and they can bring back that camaraderie that a lot of us lose when we get out of the military. You know, I know I've lost it because, you know, when I was in Germany, all of us were from all over the nation. So once we got out, everybody went back to their hometowns, and now we're hundreds or even thousands of miles away, and it's almost impossible to stay in touch. Whereas with this, I mean, it's, it's not you know, in the flesh, but at the same time, at least they're, they're bringing back that, you know, being able to talk about their experiences. And, and like Gar said, their experiences might not be the same, but they are kind of the same. Everybody has, you know, that underlying, Hey, you know, you've been there, you've seen it, you've done it. And, um, so I think that once that kicks off and then we get the, the therapists, um, we're, we're really going to see, uh, at least in my opinion, um, a lot of people coming to the website and taking it. We hope, you know, taking advantage of this because you think that this is something that will, you know, cover the overflow from the VA. The VA just can't handle the amount of uh, people that are you know, suffering from PTSD and, and need therapy. And they're, you know, a bureaucracy, an inflexible bureaucracy. And that's why, you know, um, companies like us or, you know, foundations like us, you know, can be that, you know, a little bit of flexibility. So that way, the soldier and the sailor and the Marine and the airman aren't getting left behind. Just to add something to that too. I think that uh, unfortunately because of the overflow of, you know, people that are needing treatment for PTSD and um, the fact that the better, the VA system is underfunded, understaffed. Um, we're trying to bring back that camaraderie just, just so that these veterans can learn to help each other and help themselves. Because unfortunately right now the resources aren't there or, um, they're not able to tap into the resources or not. Like, for instance, Jason, originally when he came back, was supposed to be seeing a, a therapist every week, but he was only able to see one every three months because of the fact that the VA just does, isn't able to uh, equip to, to that situation. But we're hoping that we can get these guys to, to get involved with each other um, through these support groups, begin to socialize again. And to help each other through these situations, you know, while they were in combat and while they were, you know, active duty, that's what it was all about, was fighting for their, their brother to their left, their sister to their right. And um, we don't see any reason why that should stop after they're out. You know what's so beautiful about this? 
your generation has the ability to stay in contact. We've talked about this before in some of our other shows. You know, because of the Internet, Facebook, things are a lot easier for a veteran now to keep that camaraderie and keep in touch. And that's such a big, big thing. Because you're absolutely right. That's the whole key. Because only a veteran can understand another veteran. Yep. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud of all three of you. Uh, you know, take this from an old guy on it. I'm proud of all three of you on it. I hope you continue on down the road that you're going and put this in the back of your mind. If you touch one person, one person, you've succeeded because you that made a difference a, in somebody's uh, life. That really means a lot to me. Um, yeah. I, I look up to, um, you know, the, the veterans that have gone before me. Actually, one of the reasons why I joined was because Of my uh, um, great uncle, he died in Iwo Jima. Yep. So he was like a hero to me because my grandfather talked about him all the time. I'm sorry. Uh, I just lost my grandfather this past don't, year. Don't, but... don't don't worry about it. I I can feel the emotion that you're feeling right now with him. Like I said, I'm proud of you. you I'm too, proud man. of you. When did you lose your father? Grandfather. Uh, yeah, well, he was actually more like my father. He was, he was my local parentis, like, while I was in the Army and stuff. I lost him um, this past July. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about, the thing about what's, what's happening, and, and Jim touched on it a little bit, and we are, we're pretty young into our project, and, and as we're getting started in what we're doing, I mean, we've been doing it for a year, but it seems like it's, you know, we're just really starting to get some momentum is we're trying to make contacts and, and making contacts with you and the work that you guys are doing and, and being, hopefully we can be that voice, you know, for work that other folks are doing. But what I appreciate about the work that, that you guys are doing is you take that passion and you take that responsibility very seriously. And you could do one of two things, I suppose, or maybe more, but I mean, you could turn it inward lock yourself away and just keep it to yourself and, and take it. But you've chosen to do something else. You've chosen to put it out on the table and take a risk with it. And, uh, oh, that's, that's balls, man. And I, and I know that there are a lot of other people in this world and young veterans that are coming back that don't have that same willingness and are a little more risk averse of sharing themselves with that. And, you know, it, it really goes a long way to, toward putting it out there you don't really know once this book is done you don't really know what's going to happen to it in a lot of ways it's um it's about luck it's about it may be the biggest thing you may end up on colbert you may be you know what i mean and it may be the most financial thing for you or it may be an effort that 30 years from now you can look back on and and say i really put it back and you don't really know what's going to happen but one thing what Jim said and could not be more true is if you can touch just one person, you know, we know yep. that there are listeners to this show that will listen to you and you will have said something. You will, you will roll that golden nugget across the table that they will hang on forever. Dr. Doxy in his 50 foot perimeter, just that little phrase will forever be with me. And I hope to be here a while, you know, absolutely. Like his- and like I said, I, I've, I keep looking through those pictures, you know, it's interesting for me because I do, I do a little bit of photography, both Jim and Gar have a couple of pieces of my work 
And I look they're at all, the stuff. They're all nudes, too, by the way. <laughs> they are. They're nudes. Which is why there's only a couple. <laughs> and they're pieces. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the, when I look through the through the photos, you know, I can tell that they're not done by professionals. I can tell that there's a lot of raw emotion that goes behind those photos. And I look, you know, I, I sent out to Gar and Jim this last week, I think it was a set of, uh, photo- um, set of photos from Afghanistan that have been done by people who, you know, have training in photography and such. And those are powerful, you know, don't get me wrong, but when I see, when I see those, photos that are coming from the troops you know that touches me on a whole different level and it it i can almost smell it smell the area that they're in you know it's just to me that's that's an amazing amazing effort well i think probably there's a couple of things we got to do here um one i it is it is a displeasure to say what i'm about to say and that is is that we've we've come to the end we've come to the end of our hour and of course, um, David will have to do a standard shot. If you guys don't mind hanging around after we, after we stop recording the show, I'd like to just run a couple of things past you. But I do want to ask all of you guys. Yes, go ahead, Jason. Uh, we just get it out there that um, on our website, we're we're trying to raise money right now for the trip to go over to Iraq. And on our website, you can find uh, where we're doing a, a campaign on Kickstarter.com where uh, you can donate as little as $2. Um, all these funds are um, either going to go towards paying for my travel out there and then whatever overflow we get, which I thought we'll get any. But if we do get overflow, hopefully, um, it's going to go to uh, certain soldiers that we have sponsored overseas that we're giving them care, like uh, tailor-made care packages to their taste, either some merchandise from our merchandise store or candy that they like or, or whatever they want. So they can go on our website. It's on the front page of graffitiwar.com. And it's the Kickstarter campaign. Um, we we really need their help trying to get Excellent. overseas. Excellent. I'm glad. I'm, and, I'm glad you had a chance to do that. And we got to send you some money so you can buy that digital film too for your camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey Dave, give us give us a roundabout shout out, would you? All right. So first off, you know, if you're interested in this project, go to graffitiofwar.com, and you can find out more about the whole project and the foundation and everything else. Um, we also have, you know, previous guests who have got their, their websites, like GusMcCoy.com, and he's got some new stuff up that it makes, makes me chuckle a little bit. Uh, you got to read about it, him sitting in a, in a tank hall in Iraq and what happens when the British troops tell him about the depleted uranium rounds. I would love nothing uh, more than have seen photographs taken from him. <laughs> and then... Uh, our, our webpage, standardease.org, excuse me, yeah, standardease.org, and follow us on Facebook at the Standardese um, page. I do want to say a special thanks to you guys. This was this is amazing. Um, I asked this of, of our guests and stuff, but would you be willing to come back uh, maybe in a roundtable conversation, and maybe we can do a follow-up here in a little bit to bring you on board and do a recap of where you are on your project. I would love nothing more at the very least – Hopefully, you know, you'll probably be a big star by then. But, you know, after you return from your trip to Iraq, would you be willing to come back and talk about it? Absolutely. In fact, we'll, um, we'll be sure to make sure that we definitely come on your show once we get back from Iraq um, to tell you guys all about it and your fans all about it. Excellent. Excellent. Great. We got fans? Yeah, we got many of them. You, you, don't. <laughs> you don't. I'm the Donny Osmond of, of this crowd, you know. I'm a little does, bit country. Well, does that make Jim 
That makes you worry. <laughs> Anyways, coming from from Boston uh, via Charlotte, North Carolina, Travis Campbell, thank you for joining in. In Clarksburg. Hey, thanks for having us. In Clarksburg. And um, I, 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 for, I forgot again. This is terrible. I forgot to write down your wife's name. And so as I'm sitting here reading Melissa. it, Melissa, yes. Melissa, is your last name also Parsons? Yes, and actually, it may be easier for you to remember Mel is what most people say. Thank you much. Mel Parsons from <laughs> from Clark, Clarksburg, West Virginia, dragging in her husband, Jason, from Chicago, James L. Johnson in Michigan, and, uh, well, David, David, you know, D. Bjorn Christian uh, from Minnesota originally, but he's hanging out in Grand Forks. I'm Garland Green in Santa Rosa, California. I want to thank you guys for joining in what I think is one of our better shows here. Oh, 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 o